Hello and welcome to The HOA Show, where we discuss the news, problems, trends, and critical issues relating to life in a homeowner association. Join us every episode, and together we'll explore how to survive and thrive in the dizzying world of HOAs. Hello and welcome to The HOA Show. I'm your host, Ryan Gazelle, and in this episode, we'll be discussing a major issue that has been wreaking financial havoc and concern all across the state of California, finding affordable property insurance for condominium associations that are in high-risk brush hazard or wildfire zones. With me today is a regular on our podcast, A.J. Scott of the Client Agency Insurance Brokers, and our guest today is California State Assembly member Mark Levine. Mark was elected in 2012 to represent California's 10th Assembly District, which includes the Marin and Sonoma counties. After almost a decade of service, Mark has authored over 80 laws. He's a graduate of California State Northridge and holds a master's degree in national security affairs from the Naval Postgraduate School. And most importantly for our discussion today, Mark is running for the office of California Insurance Commissioner in 2022. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. We're so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks, AJ. Glad to be here. So before we tie you up and hold your feet to the uh, wildfire, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. So you live in Marin County, correct? I do. I I live in Marin County. It's a beautiful place uh, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge in the San Francisco Bay Area. But as you noted, I went to Cal State Northridge. I was born in Los Angeles. I know Los Angeles pretty well and was there uh, as a student during the, the Northridge earthquake in the 90s. And that was the second earthquake I really remember as I was also in Northern California when the Loma Prieta earthquake hit. Oh, man. And so uh, we now look at wildfires and insurance issues. And I know those, those issues and, and those events pretty well, having lived through them. So since the earthquakes seem to be following you, please give us a heads up if you're coming down this way for any campaign <laughs> events. Right. Yeah. And I, I ended up in Marin. For, fortunately, my wife uh, was raised here and it's been a, a lovely place to raise my family. I've got two kids right now. Pretty good. But we've got an atmospheric river, which we badly need. It's about to hit tonight. And that's a good thing, too. Nice. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Uh, now, you've been involved in state politics for quite a long time. But uh, what made you decide to run for the insurance commissioner position? Do you have any type of a background in insurance? I think like many of us, we take insurance for granted. We, we start driving. We're required to have insurance. We buy a home. We need insurance to finance it. If you run a business, you've got to have insurance to cover liabilities. And so as a consumer, there have been many opportunities that I've had to engage with insurance. And then as a lawmaker, after the terrible wildfires of 2017, I was involved in writing a number of insurance reform bills that became law to help make sure wildfire survivors had recourse and and aid when they needed it and what they expected when they purchased their insurance that I really am heartened to hear when people tell me, oh, I used this law that you wrote to help me rebuild after the fire. It makes me feel good about the work that I've been able to do. Absolutely. So clearly you have a passion for public service. Have you ever served on an HOA board or been involved in a homeowners association? (laughs) No, that's probably some of the hardest types of public service to do is serving on a homeowners association board. I know that those are really challenging issues. Um, But in in Ryan's previous question about what what made me decide for run for insurance commission, I talk about how my wife was raised in Marin and we had heard, my office gets calls all the time about people getting non-renewed for insurance. 
and um, you know, if their rates are skyrocketing, we get those calls nonstop. And a home on the street that my wife was raised on got, got non-renewed. And you know, that got my attention, just like all of the other calls that I've received got my attention. And I figured the insurance marketplace is not working well. How do we make sure that people who want coverage are able to get it? And for people whose lives haven't changed and their properties haven't changed and they didn't experience a wildfire anytime recently, how do we make sure that they're able to have the insurance that they depend upon for what we all know is pretty much the largest investment that anyone normally makes in their lifetime, which is their home. But it also is a deep and sentimental meaning, which is the place where they're raising their children, the place where they've lived and had wonderful memories um, that they want to feel secure in, in being able to protect that space. And insurance as a financial instrument is used to do that. And so that was my call was that the marketplace isn't working well. People are in a time of crisis and I want to step up. I hear that call. Love it. Love it. I think we're going to kind of cover that topic in two different ways. We'll, we'll kind of go into the fair plan and some concerns there and then talk about your new bill, Assembly Bill 1522. Our show, the HOA show, is focused on issues relating to the 50,000 or so common interest developments in California. It's estimated by the Community Association Institute, CAI, that some 14 million Californians live in a community association. And according to the Insurance Information Institute, as of 2019, more than 2 million homes in California are identified to have a high or extreme risk of wildfire. And that doesn't even take into account all the homes that may not have had a high risk of burning, but are still being non-renewed by carriers because of the risk of smoke damage from wildfire. So right now, as, as you're saying, you're getting tons of calls, as are we. There's a tremendous amount of anger and distrust by California homeowners directed at the insurance industry. They, they feel betrayed. Folks who've lived in their homes for decades and never had a wildfire even come close to them, like you said, are being non-renewed by the carriers or they're seeing their premiums increase to the point where they can no longer possibly pay that premium. So how will you help them as a new insurance commissioner? Yeah, thanks for that question, Ryan. You, you gave out some numbers that really illustrate some of the challenges in California when 14 million Californians live in a community association and they are having a challenge getting insurance that they need or that probably you know, 2 million homes living in high or extreme risk of wildfire, a quarter of all Californians living in these at risk like this, that it's not someone else or someone far away, but it's often ourselves or people that we didn't expect that live in these types of areas because they're everywhere. I live two stoplights off Highway 101, and I live in a wildland urban interface. I didn't know that until I had to replace my windows. And you know, suddenly it's like, oh, okay, now we live in what what's what we call a wooey, the wildland urban interface, and it's a wake-up call, particularly after the rash of wildfires that we've had in, in the past half decade, that more of us are at risk than we ever thought were possible to be at risk. And so what we're also seeing is that the insurance marketplace is responding to that realization. So they are retreating or receding, however you want to describe it, from whole zip codes of California. And it's not just in the Sierra Nevada foothills. It's in communities in Ventura County, Santa Barbara County, um, Los Angeles County, Orange County, all over the state. And we need to figure out why. So we have a number of different instances where we see that in the Department of Insurance, rate approvals 
for rate increases. No one likes rate increases, but we do want to have solvent insurers, but that the approvals process, that that process is taking longer than it's ever taken before at a time when we need more insurance carriers in the marketplace. And so these approval processes that are slowed down actually are stopping more carriers being in zip codes and having more choices for consumers, usually bringing costs down, not because there's a race to the bottom and to be the cheapest, but because when consumers have choices and there are more carriers in the marketplace, that's when risk is limited for the carriers and where they're able to use scale to maximize the coverage that they need to have. So that's not occurring. So we need to make sure that we're expediting rate reviews. We also need to make sure that as products are coming to market, that that is not slowed down as well. And that it's taken a very long time in the Department of Insurance. Months and months are being added to historic times of approval. Mark, what's slowing this whole process down? What is the impediment? So you, you would think that the Department of Insurance has a way that it operates and it makes a lot of sense. And you know, when you have uh, a new insurance commissioner, that the bureaucracy can do its job. That we, when Trump became president, for many of us that didn't support him, that you're like, well, at least the government can continue doing its work. But as we know, that even at the very top, that has an, a downstream impact on how departments, government agencies all work and whether people are comfortable doing their jobs, whether they're concerned about any issues you know, that may come before them as they're trying to do their work. And it seems as though the department is not working efficiently or effectively as it has in the past under other insurance commissioners. And certainly as a candidate for insurance commissioner, I want to make sure that it's a well-run and efficient operation that really has consumers, policyholders at the heart of everything that they're doing. How do we make sure that everyone has the coverage that they need? How do we be fair in the way that we're looking at rate increases or new products so that we're making sure that the products are good and that there's solvency in the marketplace? And that, that's certainly one of my goals. Without making it so inhospitable that there are no markets left to work with, that's, that's music to our ears. <laughs> well, it's really tough. I mean, we, it's easy to fall back and demonize the insurance carriers. And right. there's a lot to criticize. Of course. And we want them to participate in the marketplace, but it has to be a fair marketplace. And the insurance carriers have to know that when they go to the Department of Insurance, it's not about whose spouses donated money to the insurance commissioner, which has been an issue with the current insurance commissioner, where you know someone with business before the commission literally laundered money through their spouses to the, the campaign. And of course, I have a, a no insurance pledge of no one donating money to my campaign involved in uh, insurance industry. And that's important to me. Yeah. So getting back to, we, we want to talk a little bit more about DOI approval of filings and non-admitted carriers. But before we get there, we wanted to chat about the California Fair Plan as you were talking about this inordinate number of homeowners who are impacted by the current situation in California and how many of them live in community associations. In the past, a lot of the solutions offered at the state level have been offered to individual homeowners and not to condominium associations or gated communities, HOAs, planned developments, communities of that nature, because they are corporations. They are incorporated, so they are commercial entities, but they're still just groups of homeowners. And if the association entity can't get coverage, well, the homeowners are having a serious problem. So we're seeing a lot of that now. And there hasn't been a lot of energy expended towards that goal. So let's talk about the California Fair Plan, because this is one area where 
that's really slipped through the cracks, the condominium associations and the gated communities. So for the benefit of our listeners, I just want to preface this conversation by saying it's important not to think of the FAIR plan as an insurance company that wants to write business in California. Insurance companies who are licensed to do business here are required to participate in the FAIR plan. This group of companies share the profits, losses, and expenses of the plan in direct proportion to their market share of business in our state. So if that FAIR plan participation becomes too burdensome, there's a risk of insurance companies simply leaving the state altogether. If doing business in California, that's a privilege. There's a lot of profits to be made here in California. If doing business in California is your Costco membership and the FAIR plan is your annual membership fee, you can understand that if that membership fee gets too high, you're going to find somewhere else to shop. You're not going to keep shopping at Costco. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, AJ, that was a really, really great description of, of the FAIR plan. It's supposed to be the carrier of last resort. And typically when you hear something like that, it helps you take note that perhaps that's not the insurance coverage that you want. Right. And that, that's not your first choice. And perhaps it's not your best choice as well. And people are so frustrated by the lack of competition right now in the marketplace and the lack of people wanting to ensure that they're seeking that last resort because they don't know where to go. And typically the fair plan has limited coverage. As you mentioned, it doesn't cover certain things like you know, the, the condo association issue that, that you raised and that it's not the comprehensive insurance that normally homeowners expect to, to make sure that they're made whole after a, an accident or a disaster. And so people are trying to make the fair plan a regular type of homeowner's insurance policy plan, but that is actually anti-competitive to the marketplace of trying to have more insurers provide whole and good coverage for everybody. And then, of course, it has limitations. So the fair plan can't fix everything. And in fact, as this insurance commissioner, the current insurance commissioner, Carlar, is doing, he's being challenged in court because of the fact that the fair plan doesn't believe it is in their charge because of its anti-competitive nature to compete and offer the same plans that their member companies are already trying to provide but are getting, you know, hold up in that attempt. And so what we typically think of for the fair plan is this is your course of action when you need to finance your property. So if you need a mortgage, that, that type of thing, right. you need to have insurance. This is your safety net. And you go to your, your insurer of last resort as a financial instrument for that purpose, but not to cover your losses in an accident or a disaster. Exactly. Or it's not your best choice. It's not your best choice for that is rather the, the, the way to put it. Right. And, and unfortunately, you mentioned that the Fair Plan says on their website, we are the carrier of last resort. And there are certain warranties that the brokers have to make when signing up uh, an association for the fair plan or a, a home. You have to e-warrant that, you know, there was no, no other carrier that was willing to quote this association or this property. Now, do you think the brokers should be lying when they sign that warranty just because, you know, these folks... You can't expect them to pay a $1.5 million premium when their premium before was $80,000. So while it may not be impossible to find coverage, realistically, it's impossible to find coverage because they just can't afford it. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that question is just a pitch that goes right across the plate. <laughs> and it's easy to say that, hell no, no one should ever lie and sign any warranty. Uh, certainly not a broker who, you know, you, you got brokers and, and integrity is just so important for them. And they're fighting as hard as they can for their clients trying to get good coverage for them. So I would never want anyone to think that, that this is a good option uh, and, and shouldn't be the one that they're opting for rather than hopefully working a little bit harder if there is a policy that is right for them. And generally, fair plan coverage is more expensive than insurance on the marketplace anyhow. So, you know, that's just important for people to know. It may be for the individuals, but we've been seeing a, a rash of community associations. You know, they're required by their governing documents to purchase a master policy, even if they own their units outright and they don't have a lender or Fannie Mae loan, they're still required by the governing documents to purchase insurance. So if their premium suddenly goes from 80000 a year, you know, for a community of, say, 80 homes to one point three, four, five million dollars, which we've seen. Yeah. It's a humongous leap and it's just not, you know, these folks maybe they've paid for their home, but they can't afford the fifteen thousand dollar a month special assessment that they're now being asked to come up with. So I guess the question is, do you have a view as an insurance commissioner to expanding the scope of the fair plan or limiting it more and finding an alternate solution? So I think the solution is the one that I've introduced in the legislature, AB 1522, the Catastrophic Wildfire Insurance Act. And that will hopefully provide another insurance product to take on the you know, higher or moderate risk policies and then provide more choice and competition in that space that the associations would be able to participate in. Yeah, yeah. We saw there was mention on your website that, that this would not merely be a personal insurance solution. It would also offer some commercial scope. But we have some questions specifically about that bill. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to kind of set the stage here with some additional numbers. We've tossed around some numbers already, but over the last five years, we've seen in California over $50 billion in insured wildfire losses. That's not economic losses. That's insured. So imagine you were here for the Northridge earthquake. Imagine if the Northridge earthquake had happened twice in five years and the realities of the insurance marketplace in the wake of that one single event when virtually every insurance company in the state stopped writing earthquake insurance. At that time, earthquake was fairly easily defined and excluded from standard fire insurance policies, but wildfire is a much stickier wicket. And without any permission at the state level to exclude the peril of wildfire or even to apply different terms like higher deductibles, even percentage deductibles like we do with earthquakes or partial sublimits. The lack of flexibility has resulted in really 90% or more of the commercial insurance carriers throwing their hands up in the air and declining to offer any coverage to communities in wildfire-exposed areas, as you've alluded to already. And as we've established, the fair plan isn't an option. So the prospect of this bill is so exciting to us as it may offer some real solutions to so many Californians, including, we hope, those living in HOAs. Yeah, so thank you for teeing that up, AJ. Clearly, the homeowner's insurance crisis extends to commercial property and multifamily housing as well. And so 1522 would, what I hope is provide kind of a, a pressure relief valve for Uh, this crisis for people, whether they're in a low-risk space 
or a high risk space. Because right now, as insurers are retreating from whole parts of California, rates are going up for everybody throughout the state. And so if we're able to create this new class of insurance for both residential and commercial that they will want to be a part of, that they can then provide some downward pressure on the low risk spaces in California, and as well as having a class of insurance backed up by reinsurance that makes it financially viable to insure people that already live in an area that has risk. And people say, well, why are you encouraging development in high risk places? And, and no, that's not the case at all. You know, 10 million homes already are in a place that's at risk. So we need to actually, you know, take care of that. There's no retreat from those homes, just like homes that live in the path of sea level rise are not being abandoned or homes that live on the San Andreas Fault uh, or nearby the San Andreas Fault are not being abandoned. We can't retreat from every disaster that is in California. It's just not possible to do that. Just like those in, in Florida can't retreat from hurricanes. It's going to happen. And then you have to model that risk out. And so the, the Wildfire um, Insurance Act is hopefully going to provide a, a way to get more participation in the insurance marketplace by the carriers. The way that we do that is by making a, a separate and distinct type of insurance for homeowners and businesses, and that you know, we have a fund that acts as reinsurance for those participating carriers so that if they experience a loss that is significant here in, in the proposed legislation, which will be going through the legislative process in January, we are putting a $100 million total on it, but that would be $100 million per carrier, not per event. So if you've got five or 10 carriers, you know, there, there you've got $500 million or a billion dollars in losses from that event, which would decrease the potential for the reinsurance fund to be tapped in that instance. Now, of course, we know in earthquake situations in Los Angeles that it would be a devastating disaster. And the California Earthquake Authority is a whole other HOA podcast that we can talk about that with as well. But that is, that is the model. Um, but it also comes with a protection program. So we want to have consultations about properties, about how can we harden these properties? How can we structurally build in this fire hardening, this integrity that can help prevent fires where you know, I learned through my own uh, consultation with my fire department that having a garbage can near the building is a fire risk. Those garbage cans, those plastic ones, they catch fire in those 1,000, 2,000 degree fires. And then the homes and the buildings catch fire from those garbage cans that are on fire. So little things like that, in addition to, you know, trimming up the branches and making sure the eaves are not covered by tree branches as well, that we can do that type of home hardening and building hardening. Sealing up vents, yeah. And so we're not just trying to tell people what to do, which is helpful, but how do we also provide grants for those to be incentivized to do the right thing or even insurance discounts because of the reduced risk of yeah. fire risk? Now, Mark, this California Wildfire Insurance Act, essentially you're offering reinsurance for the carriers in excess of $100 million, you stated, and this would be financed by state contributions, revenue bonds, and assessments. Where would these assessments come from? Would those be assessed to the policyholders, to the carriers? So we're at the negotiation stage with, of course, the insurance companies, because you, you can't do anything without having them be part of it. Also with consumer advocates to figure out what is the right way to do this and what is the right financial model to do it. 
one of the things that when I hear assessments, I'm concerned about fees and increased costs. But the goal of the wildfire insurance fund is to bring down the cost of insurance policies. So if there is an assessment, it would hopefully be below the reduction in total policy cost. And that would be part of that mix with the usually tax-exempt revenue bonds that the California Earthquake Authority is, is able to benefit from, or as mentioned, state contributions, which electric utilities are able to benefit from. So how do we do something that actually benefits homeowners and business owners with these financial models or these financial instruments? And that's what the goal is here. I love the characterization as a pressure release valve because it very, to me, it echoes very much um, TRIA, the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, and how post 9-11, it was impossible to get insurance for terrorism until the federal government stepped in and provided reinsurance as a backstop in order to motivate insurance companies to offer the coverage on a primary basis. And if their losses exceeded a certain level, you know, the government would step in with some protection on the back end. So I can see how I can visualize how this would work in a similar way. Yeah. And the bill states uh, a catastrophic wildfire insurance policy shall be separate and distinct from any coverage included in a traditional residential property or commercial insurance policy. And the policy shall be offered by an insurer in addition to a traditional homeowner's or commercial insurance policy. Now, presumably, this would require a state-approved definition of wildfire, which is something that has been sorely missing. Do you have a definition that you've approved that you guys like? Now, we're, we're still trying to work out how to do this properly and, and how to make this work for everyone in California that needs a policy. And so I don't want to de-link or decouple wildfire coverage from typical homeowner or business policies. We actually want to make sure that this is a class of insurance or a type of insurance that is used for people that are getting insurance, but is holistically stronger and more solvent alternative than the fair plan. And so as far as getting into definitions and where that this would be sold, we're not far enough down this path to get into the, the, the brass tax on it, but we will get there. Great. Yeah, a, a definition is needed. From what we hear, from what the, the folks we've talked to, if you don't have that specific definition of wildfire, then, you know, the carriers are, are concerned that they're going to be on the hook for it, which is why they just won't get into it. They're engaged, thankfully. And I think what we've seen, particularly in the legislature, when we're attempting to do reforms and changes in this space, the insurance carriers have a lot of influence on what makes it in and out of the policy committees for good and bad. And, uh, and so we're trying to make the case that this is a crisis that we must solve and we must seize upon and, you know, wrestle them to the mat to make sure that we're able to make sure that Californians are protected. Right. Just approving the wildfire deductibles, uh, as noted in the act, that would be very, very helpful as well. Treating it like the catastrophe loss that it actually is. And if we can get a definition to then exclude wildfire from the regular policies and you're offering this other marketplace for wildfire-specific policies, that would be very beneficial. Uh, I think many carriers are concerned about the proximate cause of loss and the authority that the DOI has to require them to cover a loss. You might remember back in 2017, the DOI forced carriers to pay for home damage in Santa Barbara and the surrounding area, resulting from mudslides that occurred in the rains after the Thomas fire uh, when it burned all the surrounding vegetation. Commissioner Jones referenced the efficient proximate cause doctrine 
In other words, while the mudslides were the eventual cause of the loss, had the fire not burned through the area, the vegetation would have prevented the mudslides, so thus the wildfires were considered the proximate cause of loss. So even if the carriers have an approved wildfire definition with that exclusion on their policy, there's still a concern that if they write those exposed communities, the DOI could find some sneaky way to force them to cover any resulting losses. What do you think about that? Well, I remember the mudslides well, and, and after the North Bay fires and the Thomas fire and Ventura and Santa Barbara counties, then Assemblymember, now Senator Monique Limon and I founded the Flood Committee on Natural Disaster Response. I went down to Santa Barbara and I toured the mudslides and it was horrific what had occurred for people who thought that they you know, were out of harm, that out of harm's way, the fires were over, that those mudslides were catastrophic uh, and certainly were caused by those fires. So I understood what Insurance Commissioner Jones had done in, in, in that finding and uh, I do believe it was fair and it's heartbreaking course, the property damage and loss, but lives were lost as well. Sure. Yeah, the interesting thing about that event was before the commissioner kind of held the carrier's feet to the fire and, and had them all pay, there were a few carriers who stepped up and voluntarily paid those losses as fire losses. And I think that's something that you don't really see on the news when insurance carriers behave well. You only see when they behave badly. So, But that, that was an interesting example of that. Um, and I, I agree with you, Mark. I think it was the right thing to do. I think those losses should have been covered given that the, the efficient proximate cause was the fire damage. I agree as well. I just feel like it's uh, you know difficult to expect the carrier to pay those kinds of losses and remain happy about writing future risks with a similar exposure if they didn't have the opportunity to address and get the premium for that risk they were suddenly thrust upon. Right. Well, it's a fascinating issue that how did they assess their risk and did they not properly assess their risk? And so that might be their responsibility rather than nature's. Right, right. Or are the risks changing so quickly it's difficult to keep up? So now we've got wildfire, which in the past we haven't cordoned it off as a catastrophe, a quote unquote catastrophe like we do with earthquake, flood, hurricane. But now with these numbers that we're seeing over the last five consecutive years, yeah. The scale is what makes it a catastrophe on that, that is a statewide concern, of course. Any fire in anyone's home is a catastrophe for that. Of course. Family. Yeah. 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 Well said. So you think, in your opinion, this new act that you've introduced is going to generate interest and pull more carriers from out of state into, into our state and, and have them interested and willing to write uh, risks, even though they've got that $100 million exposure that's automatically there for them? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a mix of things. I think the reinsurance fund does invite greater participation because they would understand that if there is a, a loss of significant magnitude, that there would be some coverage on that backside. The other thing, of course, is how do you run the Department of Insurance? And is it run fairly? And if you treat everyone as they are supposed to be treated under the law, that I think that also invites more participation in the marketplace. It'll be good for consumers and then carriers would feel welcome uh, that they would have, you know, a stable ground uh, by which to petition uh, the Department of Insurance and, and do rate filings and understand how they, they will be treated. And, and that's just been unclear for them for the past three years. So a more stable ship, if you will. That's right. That's right. 
And everyone needs a level playing field. Exactly. And, you know, homeowners and business owners, they need that. And then I think also the, the carriers need to know that they're going to be treated fairly as well. They're going to be held accountable just as everyone needs to be, um, but it's going to be done fairly. Now, a few questions on the non-admitted marketplace. Those are the carriers that are now being asked to step in and address all these catastrophe risks, all these non-renewals, and they are just inundated with submissions. They write the majority of the, the catastrophe insurance here in California because the admitted markets don't have an appetite for that anymore. And yet they're forced to pay the surplus lines taxes and get that big, scary D1 form signed. Uh, do you think that the ENS carriers should be the, the only ones to write the wildfire business? Or do you foresee some of the preferred markets coming back in with some of these incentives to write some of those exposed risks? I mean, we need greater participation in the marketplace. And so I, I don't at this point want to say who should or should not be welcome. I mean, that D1 is it's a disclosure so that people understand that these companies aren't licensed by the state of California. It's, it's, an, it's a good disclosure. California has really strong consumer protections if they're done right. And um, I think that benefits the carriers as well and that they should be part of the California marketplace and regulated under California laws and be admitted companies. I think it's good for everyone and shows commitment to California. But I wouldn't say at this point that only certain companies can or cannot participate based on that admission. Well, as I understand it, um, you know, so many of these carriers choose to, to write the cat business on a non-admitted basis because they have more freedom and they're not beholden to the DOI and getting approvals to make changes to adjust to this drastically ever-changing catastrophe marketplace. Even if it's to the benefit of the consumer, it's historically taken quite some time to get approval to make any kind of changes. But it sounds like you're saying that uh, with the, the writing of the ship, you feel that these uh, filings would go through a lot quicker than they've gone through in the past. Is that correct? Yeah, so you exactly, you have to have um, a level playing field for the carriers to understand how to compete in the California marketplace. They don't have a level playing field now. There's a pay to play scandal with the company that moved to New Mexico and sent their spouses to give campaign donations to Commissioner Lara. This chills the entire marketplace in California. Why would anyone want to be involved in a regulatory process that is opaque and crooked? It makes no sense for people. So this has been very bad for California consumers, for homeowners desperate for a policy, for business owners desperate for a policy, for insurance agents trying to get the very best coverage for their clients. And so, you know, I would you know, invite non-admitted carriers and surplus line carriers to come into the state and participate in our regulatory process and let them know that they will be fairly treated in accordance with the law. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that if they know it's going to be an equitable process that will be attractive to more companies. It's a $350 billion marketplace in California. You know, we, we know we're <laughs> the fifth largest economy in the world. Insurance is what greases the economy. It's what makes things move. You don't get in a car, get on a plane, eat in a restaurant without there being insurance involved. And we should be a place that everyone wants to participate in and fully participate in. Mark, it kind of feels like the reinsurance industry and the cat modeling firms seem to treat California, the entire state, as being exposed to wildfire risk, even though we're not all exposed. So 
What will you do? Would you be willing to publish and use the DOI data collected from the carriers to publicly advocate that California is not like a hurricane-prone state and that wildfire risks are located only in certain areas of the state? Well, it's fascinating that you mentioned that because I've advocated and others have advocated for a data call on um, insurance non-renewals and rate increases. And the insurance commissioner finally made a data call, but he did not ask for that data to be granular, like by zip code, for example. So we don't have the data as to where these things are taking place. So what the insurance companies are modeling versus what we know, we don't know where that overlap exists and and where it doesn't. But of course, we have the anecdotal data of people letting us know that they're getting non-renewed. So we have to put that information forward because we need to tell our story. We need to market California as a place that insurers want to participate in. Absolutely. And we're not telling our story effectively. And if we want to be better advocates for consumers, that means they need more choices. We need greater participation. We need to go out there and sell California as a state for people to do business in. And more transparency in the data is going to enable that. Exactly. And the insurance commissioner has the power, has the authority to require that data to come in. He hasn't done it. In full disclosure, we did reach out to the current California Insurance Commissioner's Office repeatedly, but we have not been able to secure a representative to come on our show and speak on their behalf. But we've really gotten a lot of great information and answers and ideas from you, Mark. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? Well, I'm really grateful to share the work that we're doing on AB 1522 for the California Wildfire and Insurance Act that we're putting forward. Um, we're also collecting stories about non-renewals and rate increases, people can hop online my website at markliving.org to fill out a form or even email us at team at markliving.org to tell us what your story is. Let us know how you've been impacted by the insurance industry. We want to know it's going to help me become a better insurance commissioner. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. I I expect you're going to have um, a bevy, uh, (laughs) millions of emails and questions from folks saying, why did my rates go up? What can you do for me? (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It's almost like once you announce that you're running for insurance commissioner, people find you. And um, whether it's homeowners policies, life insurance policies, where it's taken them six months to get uh, a life insurance benefit, which is just a heartbreaking thing to have to pursue. But, you know, they're, they're reaching out to me because they just hit a brick wall. They don't know where else to go. And I don't know why the insurance commissioner is not doing his job. I'm ready to step up and do it. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Uh, it sounds like this is a, a topic, uh, the insurance industry, that's near and dear to your heart as well. And we sure wish you the best of luck in your campaign. And folks can go to marklevine.org. That's L E V I N E and M A R C. M A R C. Yeah, that's right. M A R C L E V. I-N-E dot org. And I look forward to hearing people's stories and finding out how we can make a Department of Insurance that's more responsive, which is badly needed. Thank you. Absolutely. And we'll look forward to that next podcast on the California Earthquake Authority once we figure out this uh, wildfire solution. As we end our episode, we'd like to remind our listeners that if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn about, you can email us at feedback at hoashow.org. Join us next time on the HOA Show. To share or subscribe to The HOA Show, visit us at hoashow.org. There, you'll be able to listen to other episodes, find helpful resources relating to HOAs, provide feedback, submit questions, and check out other great stuff. 
The HOA Show podcast has been made possible by the contributions of Klein Agency insurance brokers, leaders in the community association industry. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on how the topics and discussion apply to you, please consult with your own legal counsel.